So we are in a series in the middle of another series. This is our second week listening to the biblical story of Jonah. And after next week, we'll continue on with other themes from the rest of the minor prophets. Now, Jonah's story is a mirror that God is holding up for us so that we can see ourselves more clearly. Like Jonah, there are ways that God desires to help us die to ourselves. This is what God is doing throughout the story of Jonah. He's helping him come to a place where he can die to himself and surrender to God. And there are ways that God desires to do this in us, to help us, so that we can become the light that he wishes for us to be in our own corners of the world that we inhabit. Now, Jonah is like the best of novels, movies, or TV shows. You cannot jump into the middle and figure out everything that's going on, even if you do know the VeggieTales story. You cannot do that. You need to know all the nuances from the beginning to the middle and the end. So here is what's happened so far. First thing, God spoke to Jonah. And he spoke to him in a very personal way. He told Jonah to go to Nineveh and call them out for their evil. This was personal because Jonah hated Nineveh. They were wicked. They really were. They were a vile people. But Jonah and his people, Israel, found a certain amount of satisfaction in Nineveh's wickedness. The same satisfaction an athlete feels when an opponent doesn't perform quite as well as them. I was watching this football game last night. I went to LSU. They were playing Florida. I thought of Andrea Dorman as I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I might be in trouble. It was back and forth the whole game, but finally Florida failed, and I was so thankful. (laughs) So thankful. Why would an athlete go point out a flaw in a competitor's technique? They wouldn't. The trouble is that the same thing can happen morally and spiritually to us. We can actually find satisfaction in seeing others fall or satisfaction in seeing them or disappointment in seeing them succeed. Excuse me. So this was personal in the sense that for Jonah to obey God, he would have to die to himself. He would have to deal with his own hostilities. And this is the way that God still speaks to us. If we listen to God in scripture, through his spirit in our lives, if we pray as we go about our life, work, church, family, friendships, God speaks to us in personal ways. And for us to listen to God often requires us to die to ourselves. For us to listen often requires us to die in some way. So first, God spoke to Jonah. Second, Jonah made a run for it. He did not want to do this. Jonah says, basically, I'd like to not help Nineveh, God. Thank you very much. So he goes in the opposite direction. He wanted to escape from the presence of the Lord. Jonah hoped he could get out of earshot of God. But this was silly. 
Jonah made a run for it, but before long, his rebellion was exposed. It was plain silliness. You can just as easily outrun God's voice as you can beat a cheetah in a foot race. If you don't watch nature documentaries with children all the time, let me tell you, you cannot do it. You cannot outrun God's voice. There's nowhere Jonah can go that God cannot speak or reach him in some way. So instead of escaping God, things just go south for Jonah. Jonah causes a whole ship crew of people to be afraid for their lives. They throw all the cargo off the ship, hoping that it will in some way help. Finally, they discover Jonah is the problem. And they're terrified at this because they know that Jonah is running from God. And here's Jonah's suggestion to fix the problem. Kill me. Can you imagine what the ship crew is thinking? His God is doing this to him. What is he going to do to us if we kill him? Eventually, they do throw Jonah overboard. They're praying the whole time. And then they offer sacrifices and they hope that God looks favorably on them. It is such a rich, textured story, the story of Jonah. Now, all of this could sound outlandish, except that this is how so much of human rebellion plays out. It's more dramatic, sure, but it is still accurate. We, in some cases in our lives, deliberately choose not to listen to God. Or we don't slow down enough to listen to God, which is the same thing. And something relatively small swells into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it has all these knock-on effects for the people around us. Other people have to suffer because we have rebelled. Our sin never affects only us. Situations grow out of control, and all we really needed to do was listen. Haven't you seen something like this play out in your life, the life of people around you? The last thing that happens to bring us up to speed to where we are this morning is that God redeems Jonah's attempt at death. You see, this is what both Jonah and the ship crew thought would happen. They thought Jonah would die. The story would end there. There would be no veggie tale story at all. Jonah would die. Story over. Instead, before we even hear that Jonah was rescued, we hear that the ship crew comes into this fearful awe of God. They committed themselves to God. Jonah had tried to abandon his work as a prophet. It turned out, That God would use Jonah, whether Jonah wanted to be used or not. And then we hear that Jonah too is rescued. Now we need to know these first pieces to the story as we move into what we've heard this morning. But before we move on, let me ask you. Are you running from God yourself in any way? Are you running from God's voice, from something that God would want to say to you? Are you stopping enough so that you can hear God when he does want to speak to you? God is always speaking. God's words are always echoing out into the world, into our lives. 
It could come to you through a nagging guilt that will not go away. It could come to you through a place of pain or constant dissatisfaction in your life. God is always speaking. Are you listening? Are you running from him in any way? If you are running from God, you should stop sooner rather than later. And here's the reason. Because if it hasn't already happened, the silliness, the foolishness of your running will at some point be exposed. You cannot run away from God. You cannot escape him. It's better to stop before that comes into play. Also, the really good news is that when you stop running, you will eventually be able to see the ways that God has worked in you and through you in spite of yourself. We're not sure when Jonah discovered these things about the ship crew. Uh, I, I think he probably did discover them. When you do stop running, you will find that God has worked through you in ways and in you in ways that you could not see at the time while you were running, just like God did with Jonah. God is very good at turning our mess into a way he can use us as light. Will you let God do that in you, through you? Now, for the next few minutes, I want to show you two gifts that God gives to Jonah in this section of the story, chapters two and three. These are gifts God gives us to help us come to a place of dying to ourselves, to help us become who he has made us to be, a bright light for our own corners of the world in which he's put us. Here is the first gift that God gives to Jonah, to us. It's prayer. He gives Jonah prayer. He gives us prayer. You know, conversation is an inherently vulnerable act. Every conversation we have creates the opportunity for us to be judged, exposed, rejected. Think about the kinds of conversations that make you anxious. Conversations with new people, a teacher, a boss, a potential romantic interest. Conversations when you're angry about something or when you're guilty of something, these are especially vulnerable and potentially exposing. Prayer is conversation with God. Fundamentally, this is what prayer is. It is communion, conversation with God. And it is the ultimate expose because God sees it all. But, and this is crucial, not everything is seen so clearly by us. God sees it all. He sees us. He knows us before we even speak. But we don't see everything clearly like God does. We assume a lot of times, I think, that we know completely how God feels about us about the situations in our lives. We think we know where God is disappointed with us, where God could be happier with our behavior. And I think that because we assume we know, we go about life praying on the margins at best. 
trying to catch up to God, trying to uh, please him more and make him happier with us. And when we're running, we barely pray at all. But then God does something. He brings us into tight places. And this is where we learn to pray. You see, once Jonah is trapped in the belly of a fish, he finally prays. Gentiles have been asking him, will you pray to your God? Jonah refuses. Throw me over, kill me. I'd rather die. But then he's trapped in the belly of a fish. Even death doesn't work for him. And finally, he prays. The belly of the beast is this God-constructed prayer closet for Jonah. Jonah won't make one for himself, so God makes one for him. You're going to pray, Jonah. You're going to learn to pray. God gives us the gift of prayer. He gives us the gift of tight spaces so that we can really know him. And in knowing him, we can really experience his love. That's the gift that this whale or this fish brings into Jonah's life. Now, notice a couple qualities of Jonah's prayer. First, there's his stark honesty. Stark honesty. In verse three, Jonah says to God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded all your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah could have said here that it was the sailors who threw him into the sea. Couldn't he? That would have been true in a way. But it wasn't true enough. Jonah was in a desperate situation, desperate straits, and God was the one who was causing it. It's not always the case that God is behind the disaster in our lives. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it is the work of the evil one or just life in a broken world. We don't always have to create our disaster like Jonah did. But even when God is not the one instigating it, God is still the one with whom we always have to deal in our lives. He's still the one who exists at the foundation of our lives, who holds all of life. So we must always deal with God. And we must learn to be nothing less than honest in our dealings with him. We must refuse to sanitize our prayers with sentimental thoughts that aren't completely honest. The waters closed in over me to take my life, Jonah says. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah's prayer reflects the desperate reality of his life. This is where he is. I wonder if you've been put in a tight space where you've learned to pray like Jonah did. Does your prayer life contain this kind of stark honesty, this kind of detailing of the difficulties of your life? It should. We should not, out of a false sense of reverence, refuse to pray about the nitty gritty of our lives. Yet at the same time, 
Our prayer lives can't live solely in this place of honesty. There is another piece to it. One other quality of Jonah's prayer is thanksgiving. You don't expect it combined with the kind of brutal honesty that he's giving, but it's there. Thanksgiving. And the reason Jonah can give thanks while he's still in the belly of the beast is because God's redemption of our lives does not begin when our circumstances are fully changed. That's not when God's redemption begins. When our circumstances are fully changed. His redemption begins before that. God's redemption begins when we are awakened to his steadfast, unceasing love for us within our brokenness. That's when his redemption begins. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, what Jonah sees as unique about Yahweh, his God, compared to other gods, is that Yahweh is always ready to receive us into his arms of love. Always ready. Even after we have run and run and run, he's always ready. Jonah begins to give thanks to God while he is still very much in the belly of the beast. And there, before he is fully rescued, he remembers God's loyal love for him. Prayer is a gift. The tight spaces in which we learn to pray, these tight spaces are a gift. In prayer, we must express stark honesty about our lives before God, our disappointments, our desperation. But in prayer, we also come to see God's love, his steadfast commitment to us. Prayer is a gift that God gives us so that we can know him and in knowing him experience his love afresh over and over. This is the first gift God gives to Jonah. A tight space in which he learns to pray. The second gift God gives to Jonah is a second chance to surrender. A second chance to surrender. I'm not sure what the recovery is like after being vomited up by a fish. But Jonah isn't given long before God renews his request on him. Chapter 3 opens with a repeat of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And this time, we hear a different response from Jonah. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. I realize this is self-explanatory, but when you're reading the Bible, almost anything for that matter, The amount of attention given to an issue or a character indicates the level of importance and value being placed on that character, that theme. So in this story, the actual event of Jonah's prophesying in Nineveh and Nineveh's repentance, these things take up very little space. Do you notice this? The climactic ending of the story even has less to do with Nineveh than it does with Jonah's attitude toward Nineveh. 
You see, Nineveh's extreme repentance is only written about to show that Jonah doesn't have the same attitude as Nineveh. He should be repenting in the same way, and he's not. As wonderful as Nineveh's repentance is, the major concern of this story is about the formation of Jonah. How he comes to a place where he can die to himself to surrender to God. But then on the other side, his ongoing bitterness. The places in which he's still going to have to learn to die to himself. This is the mirror that the story is holding up to us. Are you surrendering your life to God? There are times when God calls us to do things that we simply do not understand. Paths that God calls us to walk. Um, It could come to us through this ongoing burden for something or a recurring issue that seems to pop into our mind or a conversation that just comes up over and over. And we're wondering, what is this? God, are you leading me to something? Seems like you are, but I don't understand it. We're not always going to understand why God leads us to do certain things, but God will often call us to surrender to a path before we understand it and before we even agree with it. And God's greater concern in these cases is not so much with the results of what we do. We need to hear this part. His concern in these cases is not so much with the results as much as our ability to surrender. This is God's greatest concern. Our ability to surrender. When it's on the line, are we willing to surrender? When it's between my will or his, whose wins the day? Whose is it? So this is the gift that God gives to Jonah, a second chance to die to himself. A second chance to surrender, to do what he doesn't understand and what he does not agree with. Jonah is still going to have a lot of work to do. But this decision at least keeps him on the path for that other work that he needs to do. God is always giving us these kinds of chances. Second chances, third chances. Is there a way that God is calling you to surrender? To lay something down and to be willing to do something that you don't understand. That you don't even agree with for whatever reason. Where is it that God is giving you the chance to do this again? To lay it down, to say yes. Jonah, again, is a mirror for us. In Jonah, God is showing us ourselves. He's showing us our own resistance to him, even to his love, especially his love for our enemies. But Jonah is also showing us the way that God helps us die to ourselves and become the bright light that he has created us to be. 
God gives us these tight spaces to pray so that we can see his loyal love and his mercy again. And God also continually gives us second chances to surrender. As we close, I I think that we should be always holding before our faces an image of the Lord Jesus Christ saying what he does in the gospel passage that we just heard. He's continually calling us, saying, come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Whatever you have to lay down to come to me, I'll give you rest. As difficult as it is to die to parts of ourselves, we are assured we'll always find Christ's rest on the other side of that kind of death that we need to die. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.